Welcome live audience members <laughs> in the studio today, as well as to those listening to this podcast. Welcome to Coffee and Poets with Insa'a Lawrence Dinkins Jr. at Naked Lounge in Sacramento. I'm your guest host, Dr. V.S. Chochezi, and today I have the pleasure of introducing Joey Garcia. So let me tell you a little bit about Joey. She began writing poetry in 1993 and has numerous awards, including a 2014 Pushcart nomination. That's fantastic. A 1997 Isidore Pawanski Poetry Prize from the University of the Virgin Islands. An honorable mention in the 1995 Randall Jarrell International Poetry Competition, selected by Lucille Clifton. A 1995 National Fellowship from Writers' Conferences and Festivals. And first place, 1994 Sacramento Library Poetry Contest winner. Her poetry has been published in Calix. Uh-huh, Calix. I've seen that one, um, but not for a long time. Yeah, it's still around. It's a women's journal. Yeah, Wonderful. Yeah. I'm going to look them up again real soon. The Caribbean writer, she has work in the Thule Review. I happen to be an editor of Thule. She has uh, work in the New to North America Immigrants, Their Children and Grandchildren Anthology and Bedside Prayers Anthology, among others. Joey also writes a weekly advice column that is published in the Sacramento News and Review. The column is celebrating its 20th anniversary. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you so much. It's really exciting. And I am a consumer of the, co- of the column. I have looked at the column over the years many, many times and Thank enjoyed you. reading it. Thank you. Welcome, Joey Garcia. I'm glad to be here. I'm really (laughs) glad to be here. So I have some interview questions for you. I've known you for a long time. So I'm familiar with some of your history and I've seen and heard about some of your endeavors. Uh, So, for example, I was aware of your Pushcart nomination as well as your advice column in the News and Review. And I'd... I'd say that to prepare you for my approach to this interview, I'd like to start off by talking more about your poetry. Okay. And then move into some of the other things that you do and love, because my experience um, conducting these interviews has been that poets tend to be very creative, very well-rounded, and absolutely fascinating individuals. (laughs) That's great. And you're no exception. Thank you. So tell us... More about you. You shared with me that your you started writing poetry in response to a dream in yeah, 1993. Yeah. So I want to hear more about that dream that inspired you to write poetry. You know, it was just one of those amazing experiences. I'm a I'm a huge um, chronicler of my dreams, and I try to interpret them. And that kind of goes back to my childhood. My grandfather was really into dream interpretation. And would always say in the morning, you know, what did you dream? And then break it down symbol by symbol. And he had this ginormous book called The Egyptian Book of Dream Interpretation. And he would go through it, you know, and 
basically by doing it taught us. So I knew when I woke up with this dream, I knew it was something to sustenance, really spiritual food. And, mm. and I reached for my journal. I tried not to move very much in bed and reached for my journal and just started trying to write it down because it came to me fully as a five stanza poem. Wow. Yeah. And I had to just write it down and, and it was very startling and the images in it were very startling. And uh, I didn't know what to do, except I found myself writing it and rewriting it for hours. Mm. Um, I just felt compelled to keep working with the images in the poem. And, and the poem was, was about a goddess waking up, hearing the cries of, of um, uh, people engaged in hypocrisy and violence and... Uh, the sleeping goddess uh, dreams of her daughters drowning in the fat of the Lamb of God. I mean, it's just, wow. it was like that, right? <laughs> like, right, exactly. And it was so startling and frightening. So, I um, I just kept working with it. And then I was working at the time. I was employed at the time by the Women's Wisdom Project, and I showed it to Susan Kelly Dewitt, who's a fantastic poet. Mm-hmm. And she said, "Oh wow, wow," you know, because. Some of the images are kind of scary, too, um, Mm. in the dream uh, poem. And uh, she said, you know, you should go to the Poetry Center on Tuesday nights. They have a free workshop. And so I started going to the Poetry Center and was so grateful for the people there. They were so generous. And I really learned more about poetry and shaping poetry. Um, And things kind of unfolded from there. Wow. Wow. That is an amazing story. So... Had you studied poetry prior to this dream and prior to receiving this poem in the dream? Um, You know, in childhood, I wrote poems um, like every child does. You're assigned. I found one recently from third grade. Oh, wow. And um, it's this poem to God, right? And it's all the things that we human beings need. And and then I see at the top, the teacher wrote good. And at the bottom, she wrote, which I think is so funny, she wrote... This was supposed to be to a particular, no, to a specific leader. And mm. I thought, isn't God a leader? Yeah. And I'm like, what? I mean, like, I was in Catholic school. <laughs> and I was like, do you not get this? You know, I was the in Catholic leader, school, right? right? So, but I, I remember, I remember I felt very frustrated after that. Like, mm. well, I'm, this is expression, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't like school very much anyway. So that I didn't write for a long time. If there was options in class, you know, you could write an essay or a poem, I would go for the essay. And then when I was about 11, uh, 1971, so many things were going wrong. Um, I had I had grown up really looking up to the Black Panther Party, and they were falling apart, right? And then there was um, 150,000 people um, protesting the Vietnam War in San Francisco, which is good, but it also scared a lot of people, you know. And there was the there was an oil spill. It's like all this stuff happening. It was overwhelming. And I wrote a poem called Brotherhood, you know, about everyone coming together. This time I had a teacher who understood me. Okay, <laughs> that was yeah. good. And, um, and she uh, sent it off to a contest, and I won first place. Wonderful. Yeah. And um, ironically, it was the Daughters of the American Revolution. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I got this big, I got this huge trophy. The top of the trophy was a Aladdin's lamp, which I still have. Like I kept it. I thought it was magical. You know, when I was a kid, like, oh, right. <laughs> it's like, if I rub on this, I, I'm going to become a writer one day. So 
what was interesting about the whole thing, though, you know, it's a Catholic school. I got the award at mass. I remember walking up and carrying this big trophy back. And after mass, everyone comes up to congratulate you. And my mom said, well, you know, I helped her write that poem or, you know, well, she did it with me. And I, I remember again thinking like, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> you know, just kind uh-huh. of folding in on myself. Uh-huh. So I didn't, I, I took a couple of classes, not poetry writing classes. I think I took, um, I took Dante's Inferno, you know, I took uh, that. So I had that in college. I had one class. Um, I took one class on Milton and that was it. Okay. I, that was it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just stayed away. All right. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a, a little history in poetry before 1993. It, 1993 must be when you decided, hey, I'm a poet. Is yeah. that what happened? No, I no. think okay. I was just following the muse is the yes. way I thought of it. Like I yes. I didn't understand that poem. In some, mm-hmm. in some ways, I still find myself unpacking things from it, you mm. know? But uh, I, it took me a while to realize that it was me that was waking up, <laughs> you know, that mm. literally and figuratively. So, yeah, that was really um, amazing. But it was more the, the support of that, that Tuesday night workshop and people telling me about conferences and so on and just really following the thread, like getting a scholarship to the Napa Valley Writers Conference and then being nominated by the faculty there for a fellowship that took me then to, to, um, I think that one was to Spoleto, Italy. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I, similarly, another time I got to go to Paris for, I think it was a month and a half really. Yeah. On a fellowship. And I got to read at Shakespeare and company as part of the fellowship. So it was really incredible, really incredible. Wow. I think a lot of people listening will be inspired by those stories. That's amazing. Well, and the other part of it was interesting for me is that when I got so full of this amazing alignment of everything that poetry, you know, poetry offers us, I actually quit my job at the Wisdom Project. Oh, wow. I quit. So I wasn't, I, I just quit my job. I said I was going to take a sabbatical. I had $600 in the bank. I had no money. <laughs> I paid off my car. That was $300. And then like, <laughs> I was just... I'm going to deepen my spiritual practice, which is meditation, yoga, and I'm going to learn poetry. And that's what I did. So I was going to take a month off and then it was three months and then six months, nine months. Wow. So I feel like it was like a rebirth. That's amazing. (laughs) So were you prior to writing this, prior to 1993, this rebirth, were you going to poetry readings? Were you an enthusiast? Were you soaking up other poets? No. I wasn't. Okay. No, I wasn't. Um, I really just, but prior to 1993, I was, I was really just um, uh, learning journalism and, mm. you know, um, I wasn't really doing any creative writing. Oh. But after that, one of the other things that happened that really changed I think my writing for the better in all possible ways is someone mentioned to me uh, that I should go talk to Dennis Schmitz Mm. at Sac State and that he would talk graduate courses in poetry and that I could possibly sit in on some of his classes. And so I asked him and he let me sit in for free. And remember, I was unemployed at the time Mm. and had no money. So it was really 
it's such a blessing, it's such an amazing blessing. And I did that. And there were a couple of people in the community. He treated us just like we were grad students. We had to hand in the assignments like everyone else, just under the radar of the university. <laughs> but the secret's out now. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Dennis Schmidt. Yeah. Wonderful. So you started writing in 1993. What famous poets and other influence um, have inspired you? Oh, well, you know, Lucille Clifton. Lucille, I think I'm like, sure. did you I actually can't even meet say her, her name without crying? Um, I didn't actually meet her. Okay. She was actually in Sacramento once. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, w I had some terrible illness like I and I was it's like something you had to be quarantined for. I can't even remember oh, what it was. I was really, really sick and I couldn't go. And I was so upset. Um, I, I, I've never met her. I saw her read once in San Francisco. She's amazing to me in every way. She's, yeah, yeah. If I, oh, to write like that. <laughs> so she's probably my, my poetry, you know. Guru. Oh, yes. Yeah. But I, I love a lot of poems and poets and Dennis Schmidt's his work I love. It's, it's so, um, so unique. So the precision too is, is astonishing. Uh, I have shelves and shelves full. <laughs> yeah. Shelves and shelves full of poems and poetry from famous and other people. Yeah. Wonderful. So how would you say your poetry has changed over the years? Well, I originally, I think I was trying to do a lot of personal healing through writing poetry. So as a lot of my early poems are about um, being an immigrant or they're about being from Belize and my family dynamics as immigrants here in the States or things like I did. I wrote a poem called My My Father Becomes the Ogun. And, um, you know, my, my dad uh, growing up, he dropped out of school Um he only went to like about sixth grade or so. And then he worked um, cutting down mahogany trees in the jungles of Belize, you know, wow. worked for a dollar a day. And and that image of him reminded me of, of what I'd learned about Ogun. So I wrote that, you know, that those kinds of poems. And a lot of it was just, like I said, working through things, working through a rather tumultuous and painful childhood. And I continue to do that in my writing, I think. I think for me... Um, one way of healing from trauma for me is the creative way is, mm -hmm. is through, is through sharing it from different perspectives of whatever's going on in me and maybe it'll help others, but it's certainly helping me. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Oh, and then the, I would guess you? I would say, I'm sorry, you said the no, change. No. So I think that, and then I think I've written a lot more kind of spiritual poems, some silly, but still, you know, yeah. So okay. I would say that, yeah. Well, hopefully, I, I see you did get my email, so yes. now would be a great time. Would you please share? A oh, poem sure. How about two? a short one? Here's a short. Um, okay. This one was published in a journal called Presence, which is an international journal of spirituality, and they take a few poems, but it's mostly essays, and it's quite good. Um, but it's it's called The Seeker. The world is smitten with a god, who keeps a sharp crease in his pants, and whispers, "No." Not like that. Oh, but I love the rumpled God who forgets where he lives, forgets his own name, but never forgets mine. That's wonderful. I did Google you and I did oh. come across that poem uh, online. It was, it, yes. Oh. I believe it was in Poets and Writers. I can't remember. Poetry. 
Oh, something dot org or something. I don't oh, know. I didn't know but that. But there was you had about maybe twelve or fifteen poems I online. Mm-hmm. But the picture was a. It didn't look like it was a picture of you. So I was oh. like, oh, maybe this is another Joey me. Garcia. Yeah, I think it must be someone. But else. it was that poem. Oh, I better find out about that. <laughs> Sounds like someone's being sneaky. <laughs> it was that poem because I read you. that one online. Yes, okay. thank you. Please share one more. Okay. Right. Um, how about? Uh, I've had I've had a little project writing poetry about different gods and goddesses and um, and playing around with their stories. And so this is called Eve of Eden. Calling him snake is reductive. He was more than his uncircumcised parts. Fallen, yes, but angel enough to give a woman what she really wants. Adam was a high school crush. Thank God for Satan. Our conversations beget conversations, branching into the unthinkable, bearing fruit. Either I was God's daughter, dependent and blindly obedient, or God and I were managers in the same nonprofit. One paradise earned, the other lost. Adam blames me. He never noticed Eden was a theme park. Our tickets would have expired eventually. As Satan says, if you never leave home, you never grow up. Wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So it often feels to me like everybody I know has written a book or is in the process of writing one. And like I said, I did Google you before the interview. I didn't come across a collection of your work. Is there one or is there one in progress? Um, no, actually, I um, there's not there's not anything yet, and I don't know that I'll do that. I right now I'm just trying to write the best poems I can. I'm not really looking toward it. I I have um, I have been working on a novel, um, which is uh, I started five years ago, and I think in terms of any kind of book, that's it probably would be in in fiction, long form. So yeah, yeah, and I found it incredibly difficult, quite the challenge. I saw on, on because we're Facebook friends. Yes, <laughs> I saw that you went to a, a writing workshop and yeah. you're learning about plot. And I thought, yes. oh, how wonderful! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go all the time to okay. workshops and try to learn as much as I can. It's yeah. So that was with Josh Moore yesterday at the Writers Grotto in San Francisco, and it was just a three hour class, and it was good. All right, it's good. Well, we have to, to talk later so I can get some notes. <laughs> I did come across. The Oh. a book of your work yeah, thank and you. it is uh, from your advice column it's yeah yeah so it actually won an award a national award which was wonderful really exciting yeah an award for books that promote tolerance and forgiveness um wow. and uh it's I found that most of the people who write in to the Ask Joey column are really suffering from heartbreak of one kind or another. I mean, really, if we think about what's going on in the world, it's all because of heartbreak, right? Mm. I mean, it could be an heartbreak of, of uh, a lover or maybe a family member broke our heart or maybe the world has broken our heart, right? Mm. So, um, so I think that a lot of the pain and suffering is a result of that. So I just decided to compile all of the the questions and answers, the best ones about getting over, in this case, divorce and affairs and breakups and put them in the book. 
Yeah. It's excellent. I, of course, I didn't. It's it's really packed. So I didn't yeah. read cover to cover, but I did, I did read <laughs> through it. And the book is called When Your Heart Breaks, It's Opening to Love. I, I love that. that yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. It's very poetic, right? <laughs> Yeah. And of course, the Jabu shared the book with me. So thank you, Mom. Uh, <laughs> Straight you. out Scott's in the house. <laughs> so let's see. I did have a question related to this. <laughs> First, I want to say that your responses to the questions in the book remind me of what I hear from motivational speakers mm. when I. Uh, from time to time, listen to a motivational speaker. You're very affirming. You offer uh, the questioners opportunities for self-reflection. And your advice is so sensible. And the word, you know, the word Zen comes to mind. Ah, yeah. That's the, my favorite the, form of Buddhism. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, okay. it is. Your advice seems peaceful and calm and sensible. Um, have you written poems that were inspired by questions you've received for uh, from or for the column? No, what a great idea. It sounds like a fun writing exercise. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I could just even just a few of the, you know, the questions that I saw in yeah. there, I thought, and then your responses to it, I thought, oh, this is food for poetry. Oh, right I here. love that. That's a great idea. <laughs> hadn't thought of it. Yes. So you mentioned that you immigrated from Belize. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that experience? Well, my family for generations is from Belize and my uncles went to, well, both here in California and Chicago and New York. And they wrote back to my family that the streets were paved with gold, literally. And my mom was like, I want to go there. It's gold streets, right? right? <laughs> and so, um, and my mom is kind of a character. Uh, she never really liked Belize, you know, in that mm. way that people are never really happy where they are. And uh, she wanted to go somewhere else and she wanted to go to either Mexico or um, the U.S. So she finally convinced my dad and and basically it was because there was a hurricane and he was like, okay, I'm done with hurricanes. Wow. Uh, so we came here, we landed in San Francisco, stayed for a while with an uncle who was living there and then settled in the Bay area in East Bay and East Bay. Sorry. Yes. I'm very, yeah. <laughs> Bay area. I feel like I'm very East Bay. Um, and how old were you? Um, I was very, I was like a toddler. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was a little, little, okay. um, but I grew up in the Bay area and, and I had a lot of family there at the time and we all grew up together. So in some ways there the, some of the things that we did that were very Belizean, I didn't know pe other people didn't do them, you know, because mm. I'd only been in my own circle. Um, so that was fun. Uh, I didn't go back until I was about 30 and this is the funniest thing. Um, again, my parents not really understanding the U S so my grandmother, uh, became very ill in Belize and came to the United States for treatment. Cause there's no, she had cancer and there's no cancer treatment in Belize. There still really isn't any cancer treatment in Belize. You're sent mm -hmm. home to die. So she was brought over to the States. Most of my relatives at that time were living in LA. They decided to have her in LA. They were going to buy her a house and get her settled there. And so they, they settled her in Compton. 
Well, my, right. Okay. You know where I'm going here. So my dad decided that, you know, he, all my cousins would get sent to Belize in the summer. And my dad decided, you know, that just isn't safe for you to go to Belize. So he sent me to Compton. So I spent my, (laughs) I spent my summers in Compton. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I still think it's the funniest thing. I remember as an adult saying to dad, like, what what were you thinking? He goes, Uh I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't understand. Because it, well, for us, when we went to Compton, for my parents, it was like being in Belize. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel unsafe, mm-hmm. right? But Belize sending me there, an only child, it felt very scary for him. Like, what if something happened? He's so far away. He can't, you know. So, yeah. So <laughs> I had a really different, I had a nice. really wonderful, rich growing up because between the Bay Area and, and the amazing culture of the Bay Area and then and then Compton, which was also an amazing culture. It was an amazing time to be there. Um, really rich, really fun and crazy, right? But also a bad time in a lot of ways, right? So my cousin, so I'm really, really white looking, but I'm not white, right? But my cousins look as they are, as they should, right? I can't say African-American because we're not American in that sense, but they look African. So they were in charge of babysitting me, my my male, two male cousins um, in L.A. And uh, they would be walking me home and the cops would stop us. And the cops would say, sweetheart, what are you doing? Get in the car. Mm. And I go like, no, I can't get because they're holding my hand. I'm Mm going to get in trouble if I leave them. They're going to get in trouble if they leave me. Mm-hmm. So these poor boys would be, caught, you know, racing after the police car because the police officer would force me to get into the car because mm. in his mind, something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Wow. A disaster, right? Mm. The, the strange thing is that those two boys grew up to be cops. Wow. And I love that because they were like, no one's going to boss us around now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just a, it's weird how things get layered in life. But yeah, yeah, yeah. South Central. Belize is in Central America, um, and it's a um, it's an anomaly. It's it's Caribbean, not Latin. Um, English is the the language, um, like a Jamaican patois, really. And uh, it was a British colony. it, uh, it's tiny. It's about the size of New Hampshire. And there's about 375,000 people that live there, give or take, because there's a lot of immigration in and out all the time. It, uh, it has really um, startling statistics, like half the population is, are children, mm. you know, um, under 18. And um, about half of the children in the country Go to go to school. Start mm. school. About thirty percent finish. About twenty percent go on to high school, and um, about three percent go to university. Wow. Yeah. So first, tell me. Uh, I I have seen that you've been included in immigrant publications yeah. and things geared to the Caribbean experience. How has the Belizean your Belizean history impacted your poetry? Again, I think trying to make sense of things. Belize is such a mix of cultures, and they're at least the way I grew up, it was all normal, right? So even though in American culture someone might look at me and think I was white, in Belize they would just say, "Oh, 
you know, we have to put her out in the sun so she'll color up, (laughs) but it wouldn't be considered like something like, oh, you know, this is bad or this is good. It just is. Mm -hmm. Eh, Oh, well, you know, Um, too bad you didn't get the beautiful dark skin that we have, but oh, well. For you, but we love you, okay. you know, that kind of thing, right? There's so, no name for you. They, they don't um, call you like disparaging names. No, like no, I didn't have any of that. Um, okay. You know, we had some of the hair things like, you know, my mom um, would say, oh, you have good hair. And she tried mm. to, she made my, you know, she made me grow my hair long and then she cut it off and tried to make a wig because she didn't like her hair. You know, and I went through all the, my mom was the one straightening her hair with one of those really old kind of where the, every Saturday burned the smell of burned hair was mm. in our house. It was mm. terrible. Her hair was always falling out. And mm. one time she, she briefly had an Afro It looked really good, but she just didn't, you know, what can I say? She didn't go with it. Wow. So it was just really, um, so for me growing up that way was normal. And I was really startled that it was di- like other people didn't get it. Like, Oh, what do you mean? It's an issue, you know? <laughs> What do you mean color's an issue? What do you mean this? What do you mean? At the same time, my parents would sometimes be racist, but, you know, they would say things like, well, we're black, but we're not that kind of black. You know, mm. the, the hierarchical attitudes, mm. you see it often like with, um, in the West Indian culture, you see it a lot, right? So that, that was layered on as, as well. Wow. But, um, the thing the, that, I remember the most about being an immigrant is just how frightened Americans were of us. Um, so my dad is very dark skinned. Um, and when, and he grew up in a very, you know, he grew up what we call Baka Bush, you know, he grew up in the jungle, right. In, um, in the bush. And, uh, he, um, also, you know, in Belize, everybody greets everybody. Right. So he came to the U S Um, 1963, which to me, I've always called it the civil war, second civil war. Right. Mm. And, uh, we may be headed for a third, but that's another story. Um, and so my dad, you know, and he's a very handsome man and he would say, good morning. He'd see Mm -hmm. people on the street and say, good morning. And women would grab their purse close and cross the street. And I would be with him and I'd see this, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I'd see the opposite side where women would be coming on to him. (laughs) The two extremes, Mm -hmm. but I never saw the middle. Mm -hmm. I never saw someone just treat him as an, as an equal, normal human being. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd see men try to take advantage of him as if he was stupid, as if he, they could get something over on him and his struggle, you know, around that, like, was he going to get, like, would this turn into a fight? Was this, you know, how do I get out of this? And this is all in front of his daughter, me. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'd see those kinds of things that I think happened to most immigrants. It was painful to see that happening to my parents. Um, And so you write about those things. I've written about some of those things too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to see if I can get a, you know, a little more of your poetry. We're going to sort out which ones online are actually you and which ones are somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm a little worried. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you also do, in, a, in addition to the influence on your poetry, you also do some work in Belize today, right? I do, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, um, I have a nonprofit called Rise Up Belize. Um, I started at the request of the Catholic Bishop of Belize. I had gone to get some paperwork. My cousin and I had gone to get some paperwork. And a lot of, you know, again, the Catholic Church is very involved 
there. And so a lot of times if you get paperwork, you have to go get it at the parish headquarters. So I, there I was and he wasn't there. And I had to go back um, the next day with my cousin to get something signed. And um, at, I just said, thank you. And, you know, being polite, I've learned, I've learned since then, but playing, being polite, I said, and if there's ever anything I can do for you, just let me know. And he said, without skipping a beat, mm. well, you could put on a teacher's conference for me. Oh, wow. And, right. <laughs> I, I mean, my cousin and I looked at each other and she's like, she's crazy. <laughs> like, what? And uh, we, we walked out laughing, you know, since we thought we were out of earshot laughing, like, what does that crazy man think? Like, what? <laughs> But of course, I felt guilty because I had actually asked and I know how the universe works. So I thought, oh, I got to clean this up. Well, I tried to forget about it. And two years later, I was doing that kind of New Year's, you know, reflection. I realized, oh, there's a thread I hadn't completed. So I sent him a quick email and I never heard back from him. Yay. I thought I was done. <laughs> I went to a funeral in Belize. I said, this man sitting in front of us and I said to my dad, he looks so familiar. And my dad's like, that's the bishop. And I was like, oh, no. So... <laughs> So I said, okay, I'll do this. And, you know, I ended up um, starting it by bringing elementary school teachers from Sacramento to Belize. And we were putting on free professional development workshops for teachers in Belize. I did that for a few years. And then I really saw that I wanted to work with the children in Belize. So I began a, a program for teens. Um and it's a, it's a girls' leadership program. So I would take the, the girls and put them through a, and I still do this, put them through a, a leadership training program of about six months. And then I take them to Belize, and they are in charge of, of producing a summer school, not a class, a school mm -hmm. for 100 little kids. That's amazing. Yeah. So 10 girls facilitate this event. And it's uh, it's really empowering. If, as one of the girls said, you know, uh, once you go to a third world country and you, um, you're standing in that developing country, you are, you are looking at this classroom of 20 kids and you're fully in charge of them for that time. You know you can do anything. Wow. Yeah. So they're really empowered. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I think we've talked about that before. Now I'm going to put it out there again. If there's ever anything I can do to help you with the school going okay. to Belize, I want to be a part of that. That sounds um, good. Would you now like to share another poem? Yeah. Thank you. So this is um, after 9-11, and okay. this is the poem I received the Pushcart nomination for. After 9-11. No one admits that every breath drags in ashes of unintended martyrs. Call it communion if you are still religious, this mingling of your body and blood with people you normally jostle on the street, each of you wearing that anonymous commuter face. But nothing can save us from the arpeggio of dying and rising, the body's messianic march. And when you expire, who will breathe you in? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, I, I love that. It's, I mean, it's dark, but <laughs> so yeah. poignant, as they say, really poignant. So, Sacramento, yeah. rich community of poets. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Everywhere, about. right? Yeah. Who have you collaborated with artistically? And who would you like to collaborate with in the future? Oh, what a great question. Um, <laughs> who have I collaborated with? I don't, that's a great, I don't know. 
Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Well, simmer on that. Who would you like to collaborate with? Okay, who I'd like to collaborate with artistically in Sacramento? Well, probably you and your mom. Oh, thank you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I've been going to your readings for a long time. A long time. Yeah, I've been a huge fan. Huge fan. Yeah. Okay, so maybe I should back up. When I said collaborate, what comes to mind? Um, you, you know, doing a reading with or do a co, you know, like, um, maybe question, answer poems, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, a, a partnership in those ways. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't think Let's of any, see, but I'm, you think it you know, has I'm happened I'm so bad at naming names. Oh, okay. that's my problem. I forget <laughs> names. But like when you ask me about poets, I go blank. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. I don't know what it is about me and names, but let's, so I, I just kind of went like, too. oh, names. <laughs> I don't know. As soon as I leave here, I'll think of 2 a.m. I'm going to think a lot of people. <laughs> I'm come right into my head. <laughs> okay. No, no worries. No worries. About uh, names. Listen. Say that again. Forgetting names. Yeah. She's trying to say that I forget people's oh, okay. names. It's true, and I apologize to everyone listening if I've forgotten your name Same several here. times over and over again every time I meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your patience. And if I've given you a name, which I frequently do, and it's not your name, <laughs> please remind me what she what said. Your real name is. I just say honey and sweetheart. <laughs> I try just to go for the honey and sweetheart. You're okay. Good because yeah. I'm so confident. I just address people. Hey, Joanne. Oh, your name's not Joanne. Oh, it's Marianne. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know. <laughs> so I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. And you know, forgive me and be patient. No worries. With all of us. That's okay. My name's Joey. You wouldn't believe how many Judys, Jodies, and. <laughs> Josephine's sure. I've received. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I can only imagine that. So, are there any questions from the audience for our esteemed guest? <laughs> I don't have any siblings. Yeah, I'm an only. My mom couldn't have any more kids. So, that was a big, uh, sad thing of my childhood because I thought if only I had more, you know, like if my parents had more kids, then. They wouldn't pay so much attention to me, which I thought would be a good thing. You're right. <laughs> Question. I've never published a book on poetry. So, so for the podcast, if they aren't able to hear, the first question was, do you have any siblings? And the response was, no, no. I'm an only child. And then the next question was. Actually, do you have any plans on making a book on poetry? Do you have any plans to create a book of your poems? Yeah, I don't have any plans right now, um, but I love that you asked. Thank you, because it makes me feel good. <laughs> do you keep a collection, though? Like when you have something published, do you have a, 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 like a, a three-ring binder or something where you put all your poems? Or do I don't. You- I need to do that, but okay. I do have a shelf, um, mm-hmm. you know, where everything that's all the books and literary magazines are on that shelf where I've been published. So okay. that's fine. Do you carry around a spiral notebook of poems? Do you have a journal of poetry or something like that? No. I carry a, long, a notebook with me at all times. There's uh-huh. one in my purse right now to jot down ideas and thoughts. And, and actually that's how the 9-11 poem came mm. because when 9-11 happened, I was listening to people you know, talk, describe all the ashes in the air. And I Mm. thought, and, and I think, and, uh, I remembered 
either the day before or something, hearing an interview about how we're breathing the air that Napoleon breathed or something like that. And mm. the two things came together, mm-hmm. you know, and I just kind of layered in all of the sort of religious tone, like, because so many people mm-hmm. said they lost their religion, right? That day, like, why would I believe in something that a lot of people felt like they had lost their faith? Mm, so, because this could happen. Because it was so awful. Yeah. yeah. Although, you know, I mean, it's, it is terrible. It is terrible. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So since, I think do, another question. oh, do you have another question? I'm sorry. How many poems have you written? Oh, I don't know. The question is, how many poems have you written? (laughs) I wish I was more analytical in that way because I don't, I don't even know. I may not even have enough. Uh, Maybe I do. Um, Mm. But (laughs) I like that. Never have enough poems. How about too few? I don't know. Yeah. Do you think there's much of a market out there for poetry books? Is there much of a market out there for poetry books? I do. Yeah. But that's a, that's a really good question because it's really not so much, is there, you know, is there a market for poetry books? I think the question is, um, is are poets willing to market their books? Mm. Right. I think poets of all the writers tend to be a little quirkier and a little more introverted, not always, but you know, even the ones who are amazing performance poets. Um, so so much of book success these days is just marketing. I even find with my own book that I self-published, um, it sells well when I've well, I done, I've done another marketing push. So I think that yes, books, poetry books, can sell well, um, but it requires that marketing and that willingness to look at things a little differently. So it's not just poetry, but what are the themes and how do I connect to things in the news around those themes and that kind of thing. Yeah. Sure. So you, you first got inspired by a dream. Yes. Do you now keep a dream journal? I'm not a separate one. I've always just Mm. um, let it, you know, be intermixed with, yeah, with my regular, um, journal. I journal Mm. every morning and I have for, for years. Um, I, I have, probably more journals than any other kind of books. I have them all. I, I, I started in fifth grade. I have a, I didn't keep it every day in fifth grade and the fifth grade ones are rather silly. Like, you know, um, so-and-so left fake vomit on the teacher's desk. I mean, they're really dumb. Um, but, uh, you know, there's some in high school, but it's amazing to go back and look at them. And so I like having the dreams in the midst of everything else, because that also allows me to see, where the dream was coming from. Did it come from something during the day or was this, you know, really, um, a connection with my deepest self or a connection with, with, um, the divine or both, you know, so I can see it in context in a way that allows, um, me to receive more from the, from the dream. Yeah. Wonderful. Do you interpret dreams? I do. Yeah. Do you interpret dreams? Yeah. That's the question. You know, it's so funny. I used to teach high school and one, and a girl, one of the students was having trouble sometime. This is many years ago. And, and she'd been having these terrible dreams and she couldn't sleep. And so I said, well, come in at lunch and we'll go over your dream. And we did. And then, of course, you know, every day I was like, these all these girls would be like, <laughs> I want you to interpret my dream. Um, so I do. I do. I mean, not as you know, not as a practice necessarily, but I have that capacity to do it. And I think, um, you know, I had this really incredible experience. Um, gosh, maybe 20 years ago, I started having 
these really intense dreams. And then after I would have the dream, this little man would pop up in the dream and pull a screen down and replay the dream and explain it to me. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. It was the weirdest thing. Mm. And I would think I was not dreaming, but then I would wake up and realize I'd been dreaming. Mm. Like a what? Inception. I don't know what that is. It's a movie. Oh, I don't, yeah. You haven't seen that one. Well, I don't have time. I, yeah. I used to go to a lot of movies, but it's like yeah. I don't have time In anymore. In that particular movie, it was a dream within a dream oh. or something like that. Am I right? Oh, okay, so that's mm-hmm. the same thing. Yeah, a mm-hmm. dream within a dream. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really interesting to have that happen. Yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> and he was funny. He was funny looking. He was like a cartoon sort of person. I don't know. So do you still have, do you have your father's Egyptian? I don't. My grandfather's. Oh. No. I mean, I don't know. Your grandfather. Yeah. He passed away and I don't know where any of that is. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that was in Compton. He was somewhere in Compton. It may okay. be. I mean, one of my aunts is a bit of a hoarder uh-huh. and it's very possible she has it, but okay. could we ever find it? Mm-mm. <laughs> It's in the basement somewhere and we're not allowed oh down there. God. Yeah. Yeah. But that was an amazing, like we could, we weren't even really allowed to open it. We could touch the cover. <laughs> we're allowed to touch the cover, which was all embossed, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, the Egyptian book of dream interpretation. Wow. Yeah. Well, I've asked you a lot of things and now you've also had questions from our audience is there anything that I, we didn't ask you about that you want to say to listeners? Well, I, I think that, um, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that for me, poetry is, um, is like such a privilege to, and, and I, I find writing poetry so difficult and, and yet such a privilege because it feels like the way in which I am closest to the divine other than perhaps sleeping when I'm completely surrendered to God. Right. So I, I, I'm so grateful for the poetry community and um, for everyone who writes poetry and who shares their poetry, because it really just, um, I think it reminds us of what it means to be a human being wow. yeah, and how to live. All right. Well, would you share? Another oh, one more. Poem? Yes. Maybe maybe you'll think this one's dark as well. <laughs> I guess I have poems about life and death. So I can either um, do another Eve poem or um, a poem about entomology. I'll put it that way. Would you please do them both? Which one? Entomology. Okay. So I wanted to, when I was little, I wanted to be an entomologist when I grew up. And um, I used to go to, as an adult, I went to the Pacific Coast Entomological Society meetings. And that's what this one's about there. They were in San Francisco at the time. I was married at the time. um, And this is true. So Pacific Coast Entomological Society meeting, San Francisco, California. We pierced the dark auditorium, my husband and I, to sit side by side. He asks for tonight's topic, maggots and meat, I say. A forensic entomologist hovers at the microphone on stage. Suddenly, slides of human slabs, deep-fried, stir-fried, floaters, mummified, swarm the screen. My husband whispers, whoever gets sick treats the others to dinner. Ribs, I suggest. The entomologist begins, three out of five knew their murderer. But who expects this death? 
skin slipping like errant silk from an altar of bones. The skull, a fallen chalice, throbs with a nest of paper wasps. Other bodies stacked like bolts of fabric, necklines bruised into brocade by cockroach bites, ground beetles tearing scarf-length scurf, clumps of human hair welcoming carpet beetles, maggots mirroring flesh to soil, while soft-bodied silverfish whittle skeletons to dust. Decades ago, as a journalist, I learned not to stare at homicide photos or the curious hairs of my nose would conjure a stench from memory, like Johnny Lord's Siamese kitten, ironed by the left tire of a Lincoln, its pedigreed body convulsing beneath, beneath blood, caramel-colored shit, and Johnny's howling spittled tears. From the kitten, a gentle hiss of air or soul escaping before our 12-year-old eyes. On screen, police officers genuflect before maggots performing their best trick, swallowing evidence. Such magicians, the audience laughs as rookie cops disappear. The entomologist continues, pull a maggot out of a corpse and voila, solve a mystery. In the next slide, a Florida woman lays in a bed of sand, arms in a patient embrace, one breast inquiring beyond its halter, while colonies of maggots swell into the entomological kin of jet-puffed marshmallows as they gorge on her cocaine-laced nasal tissues. Who else would desire us with such abandon? Within 10 minutes of our death, house flies, bottle flies, flesh flies fall recklessly for our sweetness until exoskeletons shuddering, they lose themselves in us for a sex and egg laying orgy. Behind our seats, the slide projector hums completion as we who gathered applaud the auditorium flooding with light and rise for the long journey out of death. Wow. <laughs> so who got sick? <laughs> neither one, neither one. Wow. Yeah. Luckily it was just a slideshow, but um it was really fun and odd going to those, you know, those meetings. Yeah. So here's uh, one last one. Um Thank you. This is a short one. Eve speaks to God. And so I'll just say a little bit about this. You know, in the Jewish tradition, um the first person created was a woman. And when, when afterwards God created Adam, she thought he was kind of ugh, not so good, and she left. And so then God had to start again, you know, so it's kind of plays a little bit in that idea. Um, so Eve speaks to God. On the third day, you graft a caste system, planting creation's first untouchable. And yet you seep into my flesh as rain, murmur at the foot of the shrine I am becoming, while I ache, while this arm snakes through ruffled branches to accept knowledge you have sown, so I can enter you, my beloved. This is the benediction. Feast on the possibility of me as twin. Wow. So is that a story in the Torah? Um, the the story I, of the I think it's in yeah. the what's the other mystical text I can't I'm just forgetting at the moment it's not the Torah mm -hmm. it's in the whatever the mystical text oh, is okay. but it also plays with you know the whole idea the like you're not supposed to where did that story come from the tree of of knowledge of good and evil can't be touched and mm -hmm. really 
I don't know <laughs> <laughs> who's controlling the information here, you know, right? Yes. And so, um, and, and I think of Eve as rather a feisty woman who would just say like, wait, I like mm-hmm. you better than I like Adam, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. Thank you, Joey Garcia, Thank for you. being an amazing human being, oh. a great poet, and such a wonderful guest Thank on you. Coffee and Poets podcast at the Naked Lounge in Sacramento. And inside Lawrence Dinkins Jr. event with me, your guest host, Dr. V.S. Chochezzi. And our live audience. Thank you, live audience. Thank you.